If you will, turn your Bibles this morning to John chapter 10. This is the time when we open God's Word. I want you to have a Bible in front of you today. If you did not bring one and you have one on your phone, that's fine to use. If you don't have one or you don't have the phone that has one, then there's a Bible in the pew in front of you. Uh, I want you to see this. We're going to talk about some hard things this morning, and I'm not saying you will understand them when you will leave here today, but at least you will know what the Bible says about these things that we talk about. And we're going to be in John chapter 10, and that's on page 1072 in one of those pew Bibles, if you uh, are going to be using one of them. John chapter 10 is our text. We go through a book of the Bible in our church Uh, And John has been the one we've been in since early summer, and we've come to the 10th chapter, and we're looking at these first 11 verses this morning. John chapter 10, and I draw your attention first off to verse 11, where Jesus makes this statement. Verse 11 of John chapter 10, I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. You've heard that statement before. There's something very comforting about those words. There's something very uh, soothing about those words to think Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I want you to know this, though. Jesus makes that statement as a statement of almost defiance because he is in the midst of controversy with the religious leaders of Israel. If you recall in our previous time in God's Word in this auditorium a week ago, he is in a conflict there with those religious leaders. And he says to them, I am the good shepherd. Meaning, I am the good shepherd, you guys are bad shepherds. That's the idea. That's the contrast. So when you hear those words, think in terms of that context. We saw that in John chapter 9, as you recall, Jesus healing a blind man of physical blindness. He also, by the end of that chapter, heals the blind man's soul. He saves the man spiritually as well. And in the process of that, you recall, the blind man Before Jesus saves him spiritually, the blind man is thrown out of the synagogue. He was de-synagogued. He was his social life with his people. He's now uh, an outcast. He is kicked out of the time of worship and the access in their eyes to God. Uh, He has no forgiveness because he can't go to the temple and participate in the sacrifices in any way. It's a terrible thing for a Jew to be kicked out of the synagogue. This man was already an outcast because he was blind. They have made him a worst outcast by de-synagoguing him. So it's a terrible, terrible scene. Uh, These religious leaders are the shepherds. They're the shepherds. They hate Jesus because Jesus is a threat to them. He heals on the Sabbath. He must be a sinner, they say. But people are believing in him. They get real nervous about this, as you will see in John eleven forty seven later. If the people start believing in him, we will lose our place, they say. You see the concern? The concern is not that a blind man was healed, but the concern is that they might lose their influence with the people and believe that this Jesus, in spite of all his miracles and all his words, this Jesus is claiming to be the Christ, the Messiah. This is huge. 
For Jesus to stand up and say, I am the good shepherd. You see at the end of John chapter 9, what I've been talking about here at the beginning. You see, then verse 34, they put him out. That's the blind man. They put him out. Jesus sees the blind man, finds the blind man, verse 35, and asks him, do you believe in the Son of Man? Verse 36, who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? Verse 37, you have both seen him, and he is the one who is talking with you. Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. This blind man becomes a believer. Then verse 39, the Pharisees, uh, excuse me, verse uh, 40, the Pharisees come up to him and say, are we blind? Do you think we're blind? Because they heard him say, verse 39, for judgment I came into the world so that those who do not may see and that those who see may become blind. Are we blind, they say? Do you think we're blind? And Jesus, uh, uh, Jesus in verse 41 says, If you were blind, you would have no sin. But since you say, we see, your sin remains. In other words, Jesus is saying this, If you would acknowledge that you are blind, you would see. But because you say, we see everything, we see, you're still in your guilt. They don't need a physician. They don't need to be healed of anything. They see just fine. And that's their problem. The spiritual pride and arrogance that they portray. So Jesus is contrasting here bad shepherding of chapter 9 flowing into chapter 10, the good shepherding of Jesus. That's what we see going on here. Forget the chapter break where it says chapter 10. Just overlook that for right now. Just simply realize this is flowing from chapter 9 into chapter 10 where Jesus is now going to say, uh, I'm the good shepherd. I'm the good shepherd. You've got thieves and robbers. You've got strangers. The sheep don't know them. The true sheep don't know them as we're going to see here, as we go through this. I'm going to tell you something as I start out. There are only two flocks in the world, okay? There are only two flocks in the world. You're either in the flock that represents the Pharisees and their chief shepherd, Satan, that flock, or you're in Jesus' flock. That's the only two, that's the only two choices you have. Everybody's in a flock. Jesus is calling you to his flock. Jesus is calling you away from the bad shepherds of this world who are influenced by their chief shepherd. That's what the Pharisees' problem was. You're like your father, the devil. And he's calling us to his flock. I am the good shepherd. This shepherd imagery is not uncommon to the Bible. You know that. This is the first time we've seen it when we come to John chapter 10. Now, there's an Old Testament background I want to show you here for a few moments because what Jesus is saying here is rooted in Old Testament revelation. What Jesus is doing here in Jerusalem on this day, about six months from his crucifixion, is actually prophesied in the Old Testament. I want you to see that. I want you to think about this before I show you that. I want you to think about God is our shepherd, and he has under shepherds like David and the prophets and and the kings. We're all under shepherds of the shepherd, 
God. The Lord is my shepherd, David says in Psalm 23. He talks about all the benefits he gets from the Lord being his shepherd in that 23rd Psalm. In Psalm 100, we are the people of his pasture, the people and the sheep of his pasture. Psalm 77, you led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. You led them, you designated under shepherds, Moses and Aaron, to lead them. Psalm 78, verse 70, he also chose David his servant and took him from the sheepfolds, from the care of the ewes with the suckling lambs. He brought him to shepherd Jacob his people. God used David, God the shepherd used David as an under-shepherd to shepherd his people. He designated those individuals throughout the Old Testament. David did some good things. David did some bad things. David was actually the highlight of all God's under shepherds because the rest of them, as you follow the kings, there were a few good ones in there, but the majority of the kings and prophets were corrupt, and some of the kings were not even believers. Turn to Jeremiah chapter 23. If you have a pew Bible, it's page 778. Page 778. I want you to see this prophecy in the book of Jeremiah. Sets us up for John 10, okay? That's why we're here. John 10. Uh, You find Psalm go right uh, after Isaiah, big book of Isaiah, Jeremiah. Chapter 23. Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 1. This is what God says to the shepherds of Israel. Woe to the shepherds who are destroying, this is verse 1, who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord God of Israel concerning the shepherds who are tending my people, you have scattered my flock and driven them away and have not attended to them. Behold, I'm about to attend to you for the evil of your deeds. Talking to the shepherds. What will God do? What's he going to do? Notice, it's going to be direct divine intervention. Notice, he's going to uh, shepherd his people himself using under-shepherds. Notice verse 3. Then I myself, this is God speaking, I myself will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I've driven them and bring them back to their pasture, and they will be fruitful and multiply. And how will you do that, God? Notice verse 5. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for... Excuse me, for David, a righteous branch, a descendant of David, and he will reign as king and act wisely and do justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. And this is his name by which he will be called the Lord of righteousness. He's going to be a human descendant of David and he's going to be God, the righteous. You see that? That's a prophecy. That's a prophecy that we see fulfilled in John chapter 10. Let me take you to a more clear text than even that one. Go to Ezekiel chapter 34, Pew Bible, page 862. Go to Jeremiah, Lamentations, then Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 34. Ezekiel chapter 34. Rod, what are you doing in the Old Testament right now? I'm trying to give you the framework for John 10, okay? Give you the framework for John 10. 
I am the good shepherd. Where'd that come from? Verse 1 of Ezekiel 34. Then the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to those shepherds, Thus says the Lord God, Woe, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flock? Hey, you're fleecing the flock. You're using the flock for your own financial gain. Verse 3, you eat the fat and clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fat sheep without feeding the flock. Those who are sickly, you have not strengthened. The diseased, you have not healed. The broken, you have not bound up. The scattered, you have not brought back. Nor have you sought for the lost, but with force and with severity, you have dominated them. They were scattered for lack of a shepherd. They, had become, they became food for every beast of the field and were scattered. My flock wandered through all the mountains. On every high hill, my flock was scattered over the surface of the earth. Verse 7, Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely because my flock has become a prey, my flock has even become food for all the beasts of the field for lack of a shepherd. And my shepherds did not search for my flock but rather shepherds fed themselves and did not feed my flock. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against the shepherds, and I will demand my sheep from them and make them cease from feeding sheep, so the shepherds will not feed themselves anymore. But I will deliver my flock from their mouths so that they will not be food for them. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out. How are you going to do that, God? How are you going to search for your sheep and seek them out? Go to verse 23. Then I will set over them one shepherd, my servant David. David has already died. We're talking about a descendant of David. And he will feed them, and he will feed them himself and be their shepherd. And I... The Lord will be their God, and my servant David will be the prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. Go down to verse 30. Then they will know that I, the Lord, their God, am with them, and that they, the, the house of Israel, are my people, declares the Lord. Go back to John 10. So when Jesus is presenting himself here in John 10 as the good shepherd, as opposed to them being the bad shepherds, he's making a messianic claim. He's making a claim that he is God. In fact, he says that in verse 30 of John chapter 10. I and the Father are one. You see 1030? I and the Father are one. You see verse 38, the end of the verse, so that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I in the Father. So this God-man prophesied in Ezekiel 34, line of David, the Lord, is Jesus Christ. And that's his claim when he says, I am the good shepherd. And he says that in the midst of a conflict with the Jewish leaders of Israel, whom he has just pronounced a judgment on. You're blind. You're blind. The application to us is you can stay under the shepherds of the world as unbelievers under the influence of Satan, the prince of the power of the air, or you can be in Jesus' flock with him as your shepherd. 
He is not everybody's shepherd. He is not everybody's shepherd. And we'll see how he becomes your shepherd in this passage today. John 10, let me take you there, verse 1. We've just seen the conversation in chapter 9. Now we flow into chapter 10, verse 1. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep, but climbs up some other way, he is a thief and a robber. Uh, Let me just say, truly, 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 to get your attention. Truly, truly, I say this, tension grabber. The fold, we're talking about a sheep fold here. We're talking about a, a rectangular stone structure, six to seven feet high, where sheep were kept for the night. In a, in, a, in a village, usually attached to a, a house or something. The sheep, all the shepherds would bring their sheep to put them in this fold to spend the night, to be safe, to be warm, to be protected. There would be a hired doorkeeper. We'll see that, we'll see that in, uh, in, in just a moment uh, in verse uh, 2 and 3. But there's only one entrance and there's a doorkeeper there. And there would be, get this now, there would be multiple flocks in that pen, okay? There would be multiple flocks in there. Multiple shepherds would be using this. They would hire a doorkeeper. The doorkeeper would be the one who would let them come and get their sheep on the next day. Uh, The doorkeeper would not, uh, excuse me, the shepherds were not the, you see in this verse, they were not the thieves and the robbers. People who don't own the sheep in those Folds would be those who would try to crawl over the wall and steal sheep. He's referring to the false teachers as these uh, wall scalers and and sheep stealers because that's what Satan does. Steal sheep and they devour sheep. The shepherds don't do that. Verse 2, but he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. Verse 3, to him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Verse 4, when he puts forth all his own, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. Very common scene, a very common scene in Israel. The shepherd goes to the gatekeeper the next day, stands at the gate, there may be a hundred sheep in there, but only 20 of those sheep belong to the shepherd. Only 20 of them, let's say. And you want to get your 20 out of the pen. What does he do? Notice verse 3. He has some unique way to call them out. He has some unique way to get their attention. He has some unique way that when they hear his voice or when they hear whatever that call is, they will come out. You follow me? He might have a name. He says he has a name for them. He calls them by name, verse 3 says. Hey, Billy, hey, Joey, hey, Susie, whatever he's named his sheep. He calls them by name. They belong to him. And they, and they respond when he calls them. That's what you see going on here. You don't just go in there and try to wrestle the sheep to the ground and make them come out. You don't have to do that. You go in there and you call them and they come. What an illustration. What an incredible illustration. They respond outside the gate. Verse 4, he puts forth all his own. He goes ahead of them and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. In, 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 um, In the West, 
You'll have sheepdogs herding sheep. You've seen pictures of that. But in the Near East, you didn't do that. The shepherd just started walking and talking, and they followed. Follow me? Different in the Near East. It wasn't, it wasn't driving sheep. It was leading sheep. Very different than what you see in the Western sheep herding world. The sheep just followed. A stranger, verse 5 says, will not, they will not follow, but they'll flee from him. They will cower. If a stranger tries to get in there, the sheep just run. They just go back into a corner. They just react. I'm not going with you is the idea. I'm not going with you. They just kind of press away. Jesus is not trying to give sheep herding instructions here, okay? That's not what he's trying to do. But in light, of John, in light of John 9, with this blind man who was falsely accused of being a sinner, when Jesus says his, sin, his, his blindness was not caused by sin, when, they're, when, when they look at him and say, who are you to accuse us, the religious leaders of Israel, and kick him out of the synagogue, Jesus is rescuing, he's trying to rescue sheep from bad shepherds. That's what he's doing. Rescuing sheep from bad shepherds. Bad shepherding, because that's what that blind man experienced. Bad shepherding. The religious leaders in verse 6 don't understand the figure of speech. They don't understand this parable. They don't understand this, this metaphors that are being used here. And you know why? Because he, they are not his sheep. Understand that. They do not understand because they do not belong to him. John 8, you cannot hear because you are not of God. Understand that. He's already said that to them in John chapter 8. You do not hear because you are not of God. This sheepfold, folks, is the nation Israel in this context. This is the nation Israel. That's who he's talking to. He's talking to shepherds over his people, the Jews, the the nation Israel. False, the false um, shepherds and thieves destroy the sheep, but the good shepherd, they run to him. They run to him. And the sheep respond like that blind man. He followed because he was one of Jesus' sheep. Go down to verse 27 of John chapter 10. My sheep hear my voice. They follow me. I give them eternal life. You see that statement? Go to verse 26, right above it. You do not believe because you are not my sheep. You see the order here? You don't believe. You don't respond to my call because you're not my sheep. That's what he's saying. My sheep hear my voice. They follow me. I give them eternal life. When Jesus calls his sheep, they run to him. They come to him. And the shepherd welcomes them into salvation. Beautiful picture with the blind man, no doubt about it. Let me expand this now. Let me expand this for you a little bit. In Revelation chapter 13, verse 8, it says this, that there is a Lamb's book of life with names written in it of those who will come to salvation. This book was written before the foundation of the world. That book is referred to also in Revelation chapter 17, verse 8. 
The reason anybody responds to the gospel is because they are his sheep whose names are recorded in that book which was written before the foundation of the world. Do you follow me? If your name is not in that book, you will not respond. Understand that. They, you ha- These are those who were given to Christ before the foundation of the world. Their names were put in a book. Now, this is all the sovereignty of God. This is all in the mind of God. Understand that. But God knows that book, and God knows those who belong to him, and the only those whose names are in that book, only those who have been given to the Son, will respond to the call. They will hear his voice, and they will come to him. God calls everybody to salvation. Everybody is called to salvation. That's a general call. I'm going to show you that later in verses 7 through 10. God puts out that call to everybody. But only those whose names are in that book will respond. Only those who were given to Christ in eternity past. I have heard some pastors say, the moment you believe in Jesus, it's at that moment that your name is written in the book. That is bad theology. That's bad theology. Your name was already in the book. And that's the reason you responded. That's the reason when you heard the call, the effectual call, not the general call that goes out to the whole world, but that effectual call, that call that these sheep here in that fold, those 20 sheep that come out, it's the same call that I'm talking about this morning. It's called the effectual call. It's a call that brings, back, brings, to, uh, uh, brings about an effect. It's what you read in Romans 8.30. Those whom he predestined, he called. And to those he called, he justified. Very important to see this order of electing grace. And we've seen this in John already. I understand that. We, we've seen that, this in John 637, all that the Father gives me will come to me. John 637, and the one who comes to me I will not cast out. John 639, this is the will of him who sent me, that of all that he has given me I lose nothing but raise it up on the last day. Those whom God has given to the Son he will call, and he will raise them up on the last day. No one can come to me unless the Father Draws them, we've seen these verses, in verse 65 of John 6, For this reason I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted him by the Father. Let me ask you this question. Is this just for the Jews only? Look down at verse 16. Go to John 10, 16. I have other sheep which are not of this fold. Not of this fold of what? This fold of Israel. I have other sheep. I must bring them also. Notice, I must bring them also. And they will hear my voice. And they will become one flock with one shepherd. Same point. Verse 27, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. 
will be one body. That's the Gentiles. Verse 16 is the Gentiles. That's us. The Gentiles and the Jews will be one body, one church. Very important. Very, very important. We see it in John 17. We're going to see this again in John 17. There are people who the Father has given to me. You and I are caught up in this great love relationship between the Father and the Son. We are a gift to the Son. We are a gift to the bridegroom, the bride of Christ. So that's what the Messiah came to do. He came to call his sheep. When he calls, they know his voice. They are awakened by regeneration, and they follow him. Look at verse 28 and 29 of John chapter 10. And I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, notice verse 29, my Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Incredible security. My name was written in a book in eternity past. He called me to salvation. I am held in the hands of the Son. I am held in the hands of the Father. No one can snatch me out of his hands. No one, not even yourself, as bad as you and I get sometimes, nothing can separate us from the love of Christ if I belong to him, no matter how bad I look sometimes. Isn't that incredible grace? Isn't that just incredible grace? The other night at our small group, somebody was, the question, we were talking about evangelism, and it's a good question that people ask. It was brought up about, well, why should I bother sharing the gospel? Because our topic is evangelism. Why should we bother sharing the gospel if this is how it is? Name in a book before the foundation of the world. God knows that God's going to bring them to salvation. That's a guarantee, all of that. Why bother sharing the gospel? You're teaching us about evangelism at Grace Church right now in our small groups. Why are we talking about this when all of this is done by predestination, the predetermined plan of God and all of those things? And I'll tell you this, I'll give you this answer. We are to preach the gospel so that those names in that book from the foundation of the world will have the opportunity to respond and preach the, and therefore we preach the message of the gospel to them. Listen, that is how God has designed this. We do not know whose names are in the book. That is, not, that is the mind of God. We just know he has commissioned us to preach the gospel. And the means of preaching the gospel is what God will use to bring those whom he has given to the Son to salvation. In other words, guaranteed results is my point. I will build my church, Jesus says. That's not something you and I do. I don't come up with a plan on how to make the church bigger. I don't come up with any of that. That is the work of God in the hearts and minds of people. That is, the, that is his work. That is his sovereignty in building his church. I don't ever worry about, I get asked this question, do you worry about the government d- doing the church in and destroying the church? Oh my goodness, no. If I was in charge of it, yes. If you were, yes. But it's his. It's his bride. He will build it. He will bring to salvation. He will bring to salvation those who God has 
written in that book, and he will bring them by calling them. And they will hear his voice, and they will respond. What's he going to use? He's going to use, as we see in Romans chapter 10, how will they call on him whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him whom they have not heard? How will they hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they are sent? In other words, they need to hear the word preached and proclaimed. That's how this all fits. We've been commissioned by Christ to preach the gospel to the nations, to all the people in the nations. Because many of those are in that book, and God is going to bring them to salvation. It's not, understand something, it is not the sovereignty of man, it is the sovereignty of God. If this was up to man, it would fail, and we all just need to pack up and go home. Because it's a losing battle if it's up to man. But it's God who does it, and He is the one that is in control of all of it. And we don't understand how it all works, but we rest in his divine sovereignty and his divine control. Well, that's the sovereignty of God's side of this. Now I want to take you to verses 7 and following, and I want to show you the human responsibility side of this, because you always see these in Scripture together. There are two parallel truths. Yes, God is sovereign. Yes, God is everything I just said in those first six verses. But there's also the human responsibility side of it, where we see in verse, verse 9, I am the door. If anyone enters through me, see the anyone? If anyone enters to me, that's the invitation to everybody. Jesus is the door. You want, you want, you want to experience the good shepherd? Then you enter through this door. That's what he's saying. You want to experience the blessings of having Christ as your shepherd? Then this is the gateway to that. You enter that. You can enter that. It's the implication of this. So you see both of them, friends, okay? You see both of them. Once again, I've said this to you on many occasions, but I want you to see, especially in the book of John, that this comes out even more and more, as you have seen over these last few chapters that we have been looking at. Look at verse 7. You know what's interesting? When you consider what was just said in verse 6, this figure of speech Jesus said, spoke to them, but they did not understand what those things were which he had been saying to them. You would have thought he would have said something like, oh, come on, guys, this is easy to understand. He doesn't. He just changes direction completely. He changes direction completely. And now he goes and tells us, before you can know the good shepherd, in verse 11, there is something you must do, and that is enter the proper door. He says in verse 7, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. This, this verse is interesting. This passage, is in, part of the passage, is interesting. It really does not tie in. Uh, the metaphors do not continue from the first part like you would, you would think. Uh, it's really almost, he, changed, he talks about it from a whole different angle here. It, this is not as cohesive as a lot of passages are. But what Jesus does now is he's still talking about sheep and still talking about uh, how to get in, how, how to have him as your good shepherd. That's what he's talking about. And this is, like I said, 
the human responsibility side. This is the exclusivity of Christ. This is a doctrine that the world hates you and I to talk about. Because you see the word the, I am the door. See that? The door. There are no other doors. I am the door of the sheep. A lot of people want to believe that uh, world re- most world religions all basically are the same and they're all going in the same direction. There's a lot of people that like that. They, they like the idea, I've seen it, coexist, bumper stickers, I've seen those kinds of things. They like the idea that all the religions of the world are basically the same and they're bas- basically going to end up at the same place. A lot of people think that in our world today. And if you look at most of all the religions of the world, they all basically have some things you must do, some things you must perform, some acts that you must engage in for you to experience whatever their concept of heaven or getting to God or whatever it is that they're looking for. And they, a lot of times it's just built around the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Jesus called that way that I just described to you there, he called that the broad way, by the way, in Matthew chapter 7. He said, this is the broad way, the way that everybody just come as you are, stay as you are, live as you want, be who you want to be. That's called the broad way. And he said, many are those who go down the broad way. And he contrasts the broad way with the narrow way. We've got this door here, a narrow door. It's not broad, it's a door. I am the narrow way, Jesus says, Matthew chapter 7. I'm not the broad way. Um, so you have to encounter the door if you want Jesus as your shepherd. And I, I would just start out by saying just a couple things. This door is closed to people who want to approach it in their own self-righteousness. Because that's kind of the context, the self-righteousness of the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin and the religious leaders of Israel. There are people like them who say, I don't need the good shepherd. I can do it on my own. This door is not for people who think like that. This door is not for people who want to bring all the trappings of their works religion with them. And say, well, I have Jesus, but I also want to work my way to God. I want to do certain things so I can prove my worthiness to God. The Pharisees on the ex- externally looked pretty good. But inwardly, they were dead men's bones. They were called tombs, whitewashed tombs by Jesus. They would give lip service on the outside. But their thoughts and their own righteousness was not good enough for eternal life. They thought they were good enough for eternal life. This door is not for them. This door excludes them thinking they can bring that through it with them. This door makes no room for that. This door, and I've said this to you before, there's only two religions in the world, the religion of human achievement and the religion of divine accomplishment. Human achievement is all the religions of the world and all their many approaches to to God and to eternal life or whatever they're looking for. And then there's the religion of divine accomplishment. This door is about divine accomplishment. It's not what you do. It's what he has done. You don't get through this door 
by your works or by your righteousness in any way. Back up in verse John, John 10, 8, all who came before me are thieves and robbers. Uh, that's the bad shepherds. And they wore the symbols of their self-righteousness. They were corrupt. And, and they lead people to do all kinds of outward acts so that they will think they're good enough to go to heaven. Think about the people that are standing outside the wailing wall every day, thinking they're performing a work of righteousness. Think about all the the Roman Catholics from around the world that gather in St. Peter's Square to hear the Pope, thinking they're performing works of righteousness. Think of all the Mormons that make that visit to the temple in, in, in Salt Lake City because they want to perform works of righteousness. Think of all the many Muslims that make the trips to Mecca because they want to perform works of righteousness. That's not this door. This door is exclusive. This door says none of that can come with you. None of that is part of this door. This is a door about divine accomplishment. It's not what the false religious leaders are teaching you. It's not the way into God's fold. It's not the way to have Christ as your shepherd. This is the the door for the sheep. And he's the one that provides everything we need. We, We bring nothing through this door ourselves. You know, sheep are dumb animals. You know that? They're dumb animals. Have you ever heard of a wild sheep? Of course you haven't. There are no sheep that live in the wild. They all get eaten. They're done. And that's us. We, we cannot do it ourselves. We have to come to that point where we realize we have no resources in ourselves to make ourselves worthy of God, to make ourselves right with God. We have to come to the point where we realize that we offer nothing and that we are utterly dependent like a sheep. You don't have to buy anything The assumption is that you turn away from listening to the voices of the false teachers and you turn to Christ. The assumption is you repent of those sins that you're trusting in and those sins that you're you're putting, you're, you're worshiping, you leave those outside and you turn to Christ alone. It's faith. It's by faith, trusting in the divine resources that he provides and not our own resources. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. And that's a tremendous promise that he makes to those who come to him. He is the means of salvation and he is the one that sustains us in our salvation. I'll talk about that next, more next time as we continue through John chapter 9, excuse me, John chapter 10. But the reason he can do all of this is John 10, 11. He lays down his life for the sheep. You see that at the end of verse 11? He lays down his life for the sheep. The reason he is the door is because he pays the price. He pays the penalty for our sin. He is our substitute. He lays down his life for us. He he takes on himself all of our sin so that we can be justified before a holy God. So he can treat us like we have kept the law perfectly our entire lives. That's what justification means. It's when he treats me like I've kept his law perfectly my entire life. And it's based not on me doing that. It's based on Christ doing that. Christ did all of that. 
My trust is in Him and not in myself. Have you gone through that door? If you have not, you are not in His flock. He is not your good shepherd. You're still in the flock under the shepherds of the world who lie and bring about one philosophy after another and lead you down the path to destruction, the Broadway that leads to destruction. I would pray that you would cry out to him this morning. Don't worry about if your name is in the book or not. If you respond to Christ, your name is in the book. That's all you need to be concerned about. Father God, thank you for our time this morning. Thank you, Father, for these truths that we have been able to look at and explore together. Pray, Father, that as we continue through John 10, that we will love the Good Shepherd more, that we will be so thankful to be in his flock and to be considered his sheep. I pray, Father, that if there's anyone here this morning that is not in the flock of God, that is still in the flock of this world, they would turn to you and hear your call this morning that if anyone goes through the door, they will be saved. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.